First Timothy 2, verse 8. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The most talked about and the least practiced discipline of the Christian life is without question prayer. We talk about it a lot. It's a part of our lives in a local church, certainly a part of our lives in a Bible college. We hear the subject mentioned in class. We begin the class with prayer. Sometimes we pray after the class. Prayer is something we hear about, but it's a discipline that most of us don't practice well. Our lack of prayer is no doubt a result of our own self-confidence. We tend to think, I can handle it. I've got it. I can control this. I can manage this. I can survive through this. We tend to rely upon ourselves, and thus we do not need God's help. And yet God, God's word says, without me, you are nothing. We think I can handle it. We think I've got answers. We think I can get through this. But Jesus said, without me, you're nothing. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You and I have nothing today that God has not given us. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. We are nothing. I wonder, have we learned to go from nothing to anything through prayer. Because the Bible says in John 14, verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Have we figured out how to go from nothing to anything through prayer? Matthew 18, verse 19, again, I say, if two of you shall agree as touching anything that ye shall ask, it shall be done for you. 1 John 5 and verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we shall ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and if we know that he heareth us, we know that we shall receive the petitions we desired of him. Have we learned to go from nothing to anything through prayer. In this simple verse as our text this morning, we can see three guidelines to go from nothing to anything. Notice first of all the permission of prayer. This verse begins, I will therefore. Did you know you don't have to pray about whether or not you should pray? 
It's God's will. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. We don't have to try to decide, is this God's will or not? There are some things we have to decide, what is God's will? We have to decide, what is God's will for my summer? What is God's will for my relationship with the opposite gender? What is God's will for my life, my calling? Those are things we have to figure out along the way, but we don't have to try to figure out, should I pray? We don't have to wonder, should I, should I do this? It's God's will. God gives us permission. God says, you can talk to me. God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God is inviting you to pray. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. That God is giving you permission to ask for anything. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, which is to come. That God says you can pray. There's none holy as the Lord, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more, so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bowls of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. If the Lord killeth and maketh alive, he bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He hath set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them, and they shall be destroyed, for by strength shall no man prevail. That God says, you can pray. I am the Lord. That's my name. My glory do I not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. That God Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king, that God. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. That God is saying, would you pray? That God invites you to go from nothing to anything through prayer. Let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and him that knocketh it shall be opened. Listen, young people, he is our father. And he invites us to pray. My secretary, Ms. Schmidt, she knows that if my kids call, or if my kids or my grandkids come to my office, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. 
they get to come in. They get through. Now, I don't disturb my schedule for just anybody. Yesterday, I was on a, a, um, a FaceTime call with a couple that's getting married this summer, and I'm doing the marriage counseling on FaceTime. It's a lot of fun. And I'm looking at my phone, talking to them, giving them this great advice, you know. And uh, there's a text from pastor. Call me. I ignored it. I kept teaching. Pretty soon, his phone number came up. He's calling. I ignored it. That happened four times. As soon as the session was over, I called him. He was fine. But if that would have been one of my kids, that session would have been over. They're my kids. Students, he's your father. He's giving you access. He's giving you permission. He's saying, I will, therefore, that men pray. You don't need a pass. You don't need a golden scepter held out to you. You have permission. I have permission to pray. But notice, secondly, not only a permission of prayer, but a place of prayer. He says in verse 8, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Everywhere. Now, I think it's a good idea to have a specific time and place to pray. I think that's a good idea. In college, that's sometimes almost impossible to have a place to pray. I know that students can get pretty innovative with their quiet time. I've heard of some pretty amazing places that you have found on this campus to get alone with the Lord. But sometimes in a dormitory, it's difficult to get quiet. It's difficult to get alone. It's difficult sometimes to get that solitude with the Lord. It's a good idea if we can. And in your life, as you get out into ministry or you get out into life, I hope that you will have that specific time in your life, maybe in the morning or maybe in the evening or sometime throughout the day, where you have an appointment with God and you spend some time reading his word and letting him talk to you and then spend some time on your knees talking to him. That's a biblical principle. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, knowing the writing was signed, they just passed a law that you couldn't ask a petition of God or man for 30 days. In those days, if, if I had said, uh, hey, I'm, I'm getting a little thirsty up here. Uh, Jesse, could you, you get me some water? If I did that in Daniel's day, I would be thrown to a den of lions. You could not ask a petition of God or man for 30 days. But Daniel, knowing the writing was signed, went into his house, his windows and his chamber being opened toward Jerusalem. He kneeled down and gave thanks to his God three times a day as he did aforetime. So Daniel had a time, he had a place when he prayed. It didn't matter what the law was, it was time to pray, so he went through the process of praying. And I think that's a good idea. I think that that's important, that each of us have a time where we're going to meet with God and we're going to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. God tells us in the Bible that his house should be a place of prayer. The church 
to be a place of prayer. The Lord was upset when he made that statement. They were using his house for everything but. They had the table set up, the merchandise and all the rest, and Jesus overthrew those tables and said, is not my house a house of prayer? And Malachi did a good job yesterday of just encouraging us when we come into this auditorium to, to quiet our hearts through prayer, to just take a moment and pause and say, God, speak to my heart. Some of you will have the opportunity, no doubt, to travel to some cultures, um, the Asian cultures particularly, where people, when they come to church, they don't fellowship. When they come into the church house, they sit down and they pray. You walk into those buildings and people are seated in various places with their heads bowed in a time of prayer. And God said, our my house is to be a house of prayer, and that's a good thing. That's an important thing. It's important that we have corporate prayer meetings at church. It's important that we have times where we can pray, a time of invitation, a time when we can talk to the Lord. Those are certainly necessary and important. But aren't you glad you can pray everywhere? I mean, I'm glad we can have a, a private time, a time set aside in our schedule, a time set aside or a place set aside, maybe in the dorm or later on in our home where we can have a, a prayer closet and we can get to the Lord. It's our favorite place maybe to go to pray and we can pour out uh, our, our request to God. We can bring our list to him and, and go through that. And, and, and there are times certainly when we come to church where, where it's important and necessary for us to pray, but I'm glad we can pray anywhere. He says, I will therefore men that, that men pray everywhere, pray without ceasing. He spake a parable unto them in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, and, and it was to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Jesus said, watch therefore and pray always. Peter was in prison, and the church gathered for prayer, and they prayed for Peter to be released, and Peter, therefore, was kept in that prison, but prayer was made by the church on his behalf. And suddenly, you know the story, how God sent the angel, and Peter was released, thank God, for a, a church that was praying. But Peter, one time, was walking on the water, and he saw the wind boisterous and beginning to sink, and he said, Lord, save me. Quick prayer. Just three words. But he got through. Immediately, the Lord stretched forth his hand and caught him. I'm glad you don't have to go to church to pray. I'm glad you don't have to be in your prayer closet to pray. I'm glad that we can pray, pray anywhere. We can pray uh, as we're walking. We can pray as we're driving. Some of you should. Or maybe just let us know when you're driving so we can. We can pray anywhere. We can pray everywhere. A couple weeks ago, I, I left here on a Thursday and my wife and I and our two granddaughters, we, we went down to Yuma, Arizona for my oldest granddaughter's wedding. And we had a rehearsal on Thursday night, got there in time for that rehearsal and a little dinner with the families. And, and uh, then on Friday, uh, we had the wedding at four o'clock. And uh, it, was, it was nice, it was out, outside wedding, rain held off, it was supposed to rain all day, but God opened a window there and we had a beautiful afternoon to perform that wedding and it was great. And the plan was then, of course, to, to get back home that night, Friday night. So we drove uh, back home and dropped my granddaughters off, dropped my wife off. And at 1.30 Saturday morning, I left for LAX. And I took a flight to Baltimore through Charlotte, wonderful straight line. 
And uh, so got into Charlotte uh, through some stormy weather and got in there and uh, arrived at the airport at about 7.30 uh, Eastern time. I was tired and uh, been a long, kind of long weekend, a lot of driving, a lot of flying, and, and uh, was going up to Pennsylvania, about a two-hour trip up to Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, to start a revival on Sunday. And uh, so had rented a car in Baltimore because it was going to be late, and, and the pastor said, that'd be great, just rent a car, and that way I don't have to stay up all night to come get you. And so so uh, I was fine to do that. So I had a car rented in Baltimore. Well, I got off the plane, and the uh, airport was pretty desolate. Wasn't a lot going on. There had been some storms, as I said, a lot of winter weather in the East Coast as that storm was moving across. And so all the shops were closed. The, 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 the gates were pretty empty as I made my way toward baggage claim and, and uh, got to the baggage area and uh, looked for the, uh, the car rental bus to BWI car rental facility and uh, found that, got on the bus. All this took probably about half hour, 45 minutes got to the car rental facility, and uh, I, uh, I, am a, I am a blue chip member with Thrifty Car Rental. That should be on my bio on the website, but it's not. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a blue chip member. I know that's very impressive. I should probably put it on my, on my tagline. But anyway, I uh, went to the Thrifty counter. They were closed. And the sign said, please go to the Hertz Car Rental uh, and, and, uh, if, you, if you have a reservation. So I made my order to Hertz. Well, Hertz was the only car rental open. Uh, everything else was closed. There were three people standing in line at the Hertz car rental spot. And I kind of looked at that, and not much was happening. Uh, the lady was kind of frantically running around uh, trying to find a car and, uh, for this first customer. And the other two looked like they'd been there a while. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to go out the parking lot because I know where the thrifty kiosk little hut is. And, and uh, I'll just, yeah, I'm a blue chip member. They'll have my car. So I, I thought, I'll just avoid the counter. And so I, I went out to the, the parking lot, but the kiosk was dark. There was, there was nobody in that parking lot. And there were no cars in that parking lot that I could see. So I went back in and, and uh, got in line. And I was now beginning to hear some conversation. And what was happening was a lot of flights had been canceled. And so the gentleman right in front of me, as well as the lady in front of him, were both trying to keep their car rather than turn them in because their flight had been canceled. So they wanted to keep their car until their flight would go out the next day. So I, I, was, I wasn't really concerned, though. I have a reservation, right? I mean, you know, they have a car. <laughs> so I finally worked my way up after about 45 more minutes. It's, 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 it's a little bit later in the night now, in the evening. And I finally get up there, submitted my information, and the gentleman, he figured it all out and got it all done, and he handed it to me, and he said, go out to zone one. Oh, zone one. I like being number one. Hurts, you know. Uh, go out to zone one. Take any car in zone one. I always like that. When you rent a car, they don't give you a specific one. They give you a choice. You know, usually have 10 or 12 cars. You get to pick the one you like the best, you know. So I went out to zone one. Two cars. And it's dark. I'm looking at these two cars. I mean, and they were the only two cars in the parking garage. I'm looking at all the rental places, all the spots. They are totally empty, except for two cars in zone one. First car was a Mercedes-Benz. The other car was a Nissan. 
And I thought, is this a choice? <laughs> so I immediately opened the door of the Mercedes Benz and began putting my, my luggage in. And uh, I, got out my, I got in and started the car. I'd never driven a Mercedes Benz, never been in one. And I got in the car and thought, man, this is cool. I could drive a Mercedes Benz. And uh, leather seats, all, all the whistles, all the bells. And I uh, got the car going there, and I got out my phone because I had to put in the GPS to get to Waynesboro. So I dialed it all in, and I noticed that I only had 10% battery left on my phone. And I thought, well, that's not going to get me two hours. So I dug in my backpack, got my little USB port cord, and I turned the light on to find where I can plug in my USB port but it's called USB port for a reason. It's made in the U.S. Mercedes-Benz is not made in the U.S. It's made in Germany. Well, they have a port, but it's not, it's not compatible to the USB deal, <laughs> which took me about 10 minutes to figure that out. I'm, I'm trying to get it in there, but it won't go in there, okay? And so this isn't going to work. So I said, Lord... Forgive my covetousness, I'll take the Nissan. So I got out, took my USB port cord and my phone, and I walked over to the Nissan. It's right next to the, the Mercedes Benz. I opened the door, made sure it had a port, plugged in my phone, got that all set, went back, got my luggage, threw it in the Nissan, headed out the parking lot. Went through the gate, lady checked my contract, did not ask to see my license, but checked the contract, I'm good to go. Now, it's snowing, it's, it's winter weather, I've got a two-hour trip. So I get out on the interstate, and I make my way toward Pennsylvania. I get about 10 miles up the freeway, and the Holy Spirit, he's your friend. He reminded me. I don't recall him ever reminding me of something like this before. He reminded me I didn't have my wallet. They didn't ask to see my license when I left that parking lot. And I don't know why it came to my mind other than it was the Holy Spirit who said, you don't have your wallet. When he said that, I said, yes, I do. And I, I felt my back pocket. I didn't have my wallet. I felt all my other pockets. I didn't have my wallet. My wallet was in the Mercedes Benz. Because I don't carry my wallet. I don't have my wallet right now. I never carry my wallet. My wallet is in my car. I shouldn't tell you that, but it is. It's always in my car. <laughs> There's no money in it anyway. <laughs> my money's in my pocket. I'm not stupid, okay? So, so my wallet's in my car. I always leave my wallet in my car. It's the only time I need my wallet. Because my wallet has my license. It has my credit cards. It has all that stuff. I don't need it. I mean, what can you buy in chapel? There's nothing to buy here. So... So my wallet's always in my car. I put it in the council. And when I got in that Mercedes, just out of habit, took my wallet, opened that council, threw it in there. It's still in there. Whew. I started praying. I said, Lord, have mercy on my idiotic soul. The next exit was about two miles up. I am, I am headed to that exit. Lord, have mercy. Lord, please have mercy. Lord, there's only one car in that entire parking garage. If anybody else tonight needs a car, that's the car they're going to take. 
And if they take that car, my wallet is going who knows where. Lord, please have mercy. Have mercy. Don't let anybody take that car. I am praying like a madman for the next 12 miles. I get to the exit. I get off. I make the loop. I'm driving back. Lord, please have mercy. It's snowing. It's getting icy. I'm trying to drive as fast as I can, but it's, it's, it's not good weather. I'm saying, Lord, please keep that car there. Please keep that car there. I pull in the garage, and I'm, I'm going down, you know, you know, budget and, and enterprise and all these, I'm, I, and, and obviously Hertz is the last one. And so I'm driving by, I'm looking in the parking garage to see if there are any cars. I'm looking for that Mercedes, and I'm not seeing any cars. I, I finally pull in the entrance, and, and you're supposed to go to this line to turn in your car. There was a security guy there. I just went right past him, and I'm looking for this Mercedes. I'm driving through this parking lot looking for a Mercedes. I found it. It's still there. So I pull up to it. And there's a lady standing there at this Mercedes. She's actually not standing. She's, she's walking around it. She's just, she's just walking around this Mercedes. And, and she looks like she's homeless. She's kind of dressed in this, this coat and this hat. And she's, she's just walking around this Mercedes. Well, the security guard comes over. You know, he's, he's got his lights flashing. He says, what are you doing? I said, I, I left something in this other car I need to get. He said, okay, okay, okay. So I get out of my car. And this lady says, sir, can you help me? I said, in a minute, in a minute. And, and I, I opened that Mercedes. I flipped up that console. Ah, my wallet. My wallet. Yes. I closed the door. I said, lady, how can I help you? She said, sir, they told me to come out to zone one and take any car in zone one. She said, this is the only car. I said, yeah. She said, I've been standing here for 10 minutes thinking, I don't want this car. I don't want to drive a German-made car. I might wreck it. She said, I don't want this car, but it's the only one. I've been standing here 10 minutes trying to figure out what to do. I said, lady, believe me, this is your car. God wants you to take this car. Honest, I'm telling you, if you've been standing here for 10 minutes, I can guarantee you, you will not wreck this car. Take this car. Please take this car. I wasn't going to give her my Nissan. I needed the USB port. <laughs> Young people, that was God answering an emergency prayer. You can pray everywhere. You can pray anywhere. You're going to make some dumb decisions. And you're going to need God to bail you out. And I'm glad we have permission to pray. And I'm glad we can pray any place, wherever we are, whatever our need. Listen, you're going to get some news maybe today or tomorrow, and, and it's, we're not going to have a chance to maybe announce it in chapel for everybody to pray. But you can pray. And aren't you thankful that we can pray anywhere? So there's permission to pray. There's a place to pray. But then notice, thirdly, the purity of prayer. Look again at verse 8. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, there are three conditions here in this purity of prayer. Because God does not answer prayers from dirty hearts. He says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up what kind of hands? 
holy hands. So God puts a condition here on this purity of prayer. He gives us permission to pray. We can pray any place. But he's now saying, now there's a purity to prayer, though. And the first condition is he doesn't answer prayer from dirty hearts. He wants holy hands. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the psalmist said, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it will not hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Jeremiah said, your iniquities have withholden good things from you. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You see, the then I will answer, the then I will forgive, the then I will heal their land doesn't come before turn from their wicked ways. God doesn't hear the prayers coming from dirty hearts. James said, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Oh, we can draw nigh to God. We can come to prayer anytime, any place. But we've got to come with purity because God does not hear the prayers of dirty hearts, nor does he hear the prayers of divided hearts. Notice he says, holy hands without wrath. In James chapter 4, from whence come wars and fightings among they, among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, which war against yourselves? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. That's the part we kind of focus on. We have not because we ask not. But notice what precedes that. You lust, you have not, you kill, you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war. What's the problem? The problem is divided hearts. We're not right in our heart toward others. In the book of Acts, some amazing things take place. The early church has the power of God. They have the provision of God. They have the protection of God. And all through the book of Acts, you see the power of God manifested over and over again. What was the key? The key's back in Acts chapter 1 and 2. They were all with one accord in prayer. They were all in singleness of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. You see, God answers the prayers of those that are in unity, one with another. God does not accept a worship that's divided. He says, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift. Go and first be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. I've told churches all over this nation, sometimes I think we need to take the offering at the end of the service, need to pass the plates again and let people take out what they put in earlier. Because God says, if we give an offering, but we're not right with our brother, leave your offering. Go get right with your brother. See, we want to do all these things in worship. We want to sing. We want to pray. We want to, we want to fellowship. We want, we want to give. We want to do all these things and call that worship. God says, none of it's any good if you're not right with each other. 
Sometimes we, we misquote when two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. I hear people pray that all the time. Lord, thank you you're here tonight. We got two or three. Thank you that you're here. He didn't say that. He said, moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he'll hear thee, thou gain the brother. If he'll not hear thee, take one or two more with thee. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. If he shall neglect to hear the church, he shall be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. For I say unto you, verily, verily, whatsoever ye have bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say, if two of you shall agree as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, what's the context? Don't pull stuff out of context. That's what the cults do. God doesn't ask us to agree to pray together. He tells us to be in agreement so we can pray. A lot of times we agree to pray. We say, hey, let's have mission prayer band. Hey, let's, let's have prayer before the service. Or let, let's, have, let's get together and pray. And we agree to pray. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But are we in agreement when we pray? Because God doesn't hear the prayers of divided hearts. We kneel to pray. We may agree to pray for the service or we may agree to pray for lost souls or we may agree to pray for the mission fields, but we've got to be in agreement. And if this college, if this campus is going to be a place of prayer, if, if our student body is going to see prayers answered in miraculous ways, we've got to have a student body that's in harmony. We've got to be right one with another. Because God doesn't hear the prayers from dirty hearts or divided hearts, nor does he hear the prayers of doubting hearts. He says, lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Effective prayer has to have faith. It has to believe that God can answer prayer. Sometimes we pray and then say, okay, God, I'll take it from here. You know, okay, Lord, I prayed because I'm supposed to pray about it. Now, now I'm going to go to work. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So to go from nothing to anything, we're not going to get to anything if there's not faith. There can't be doubt. It can't be, well, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to have to do something because I don't, I don't think God can solve this problem. I don't think God can do this. Now, our faith is not in prayer. Our faith is the one to whom we pray. We believe prayer works. But it works because of who we're praying to. There are people that pray more than I do that don't know the Lord. There are, there are Muslims that pray several times a day. There are people in some countries that, that when that, that alarm goes off or that sound goes over the airwaves of that city, they, they fall to their knees. They pray. There are people who pray and they have faith in prayer. But for us, it's more than that. We have faith in the one we're praying to. 
that he is the one that can answer that prayer. You say, well, my prayer life, Brother Gatch, is a little weak. And I'm in that group too. I've never felt that my prayer life was very strong. All of us see our deficiencies of prayer. But there's an illustration in the Bible that can encourage us. When we were in the land of Israel back in 1975, my wife and I were there and we stopped at one particular site and um, the guide had told us over the microphone in the bus, he said, now we're gonna be stopping in a minute. And he said, we've got two places we're gonna see and they're very close to each other, so we're we're gonna park we're gonna to walk to the first place and then we're gonna to have to walk about 300 yards to the second place. Uh, so keep up, you know, uh, don't, don't mess around. We gotta see two places here and there's a little distance, a little walk, so be ready for that. Well, we stopped and we got off and we saw this first sight and then he said, okay, let's, let's walk now, follow me and he began to walk. And our guide was a very energetic uh, man, his name was Elijah and uh, not the one in the Bible, but, uh, but uh, he was the man who actually was given the Dead Sea Scrolls by the little shepherd boy that found him in the cave and had him in his trunk for several months before he knew what they were. It was the actual guy. He was an amazing man. He had guided Billy Graham to the Holy Land over 80 times. He was an amazing guide. But he didn't like you to mess around. He didn't, he didn't take you to any secular places. He wouldn't take you to a diamond factory. We, didn't, we never saw a Masada. Uh, we didn't go there because it's not a Bible place. He only wanted you to see the Bible, the Holy Land. And he was just, he was passionate about it. And he always called people in tour groups, sheep or goats. And if you followed and kept up, he'd call you a sheep. And if you didn't, he'd call you a goat. (laughs) So my wife and I, we determined we were going to be sheep. You know, we were going to keep up with this guy. And so when he said, let's go, we, we just kind of fell in step with him and we're walking and we're walking at a very brisk pace and some of the others were kind of lagging behind. We had about 300 yards to walk. And we got to the site we were gonna see next, probably, I don't know, maybe two or three minutes before the others. So he, he's standing there. And of course, this was several days into the trip and we had gotten to know him and we were all on first name. There were only 18 people in the, in the tour that we had. And so he knew us all by name. And he walked over to a bush. The bush was probably about twice the size of this plant. It was probably about, maybe about twice as high and about twice as full. And he went over to that bush and he, he took one of the leaves and he, and he kind of shook it like that over his hand. And then he held out his hand to me. And he said, John, do you know what this is? And I looked at his hand and it was covered with a kind of a lime green film almost like someone had taken like baby powder and just you know, thrown it at your hand. It was just a kind of a film of powder on his hand. He said, you know what this is? I said, I don't know. He said, John, this is the mustard tree. This is the mustard seed. I looked at his hand, you could not decipher any particles in his hand. It was just, it was a film of, of like powder. He said, this is the mustard tree and this is the mustard seed. And I looked at that and when I looked back up at him, he looked over his shoulder 
And I looked where he looked, and there was a mountain. He looked back at me, and he winked. And by that time, the tour had come, and he started talking about the place we were supposed to see. I've never forgotten that. If you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, he shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and it shall remove. Student, what's your mountain today? What's your mountain right now? If you have faith, that's the grain of a mustard seed. You can't tell one grain from another. But God says, if you have that kind of faith, I can move your mountain. With men, it may seem impossible, not with me. Because with God, all things are possible. And through prayer, there's not a student in here, there's not a faculty member in here, there's not a preacher in here that cannot go from nothing to anything. Let's bow for a minute. God has given you permission to pray right now. You don't have to be in a closet. You don't have to be alone. You can play, pray right here. But we need a pure heart. We need holy hands without wrath, without doubt. What's your mountain? You can go on, I can go on with nothing. Or we can go forward with anything. To a prayer.